very, very rare occasion where yeah. I can agree with JD and with Neil deGrasse Tyson and with mm. all the meteorologists. It's spring. We can all agree. Shake my hand. Happy spring. Happy spring to you. You look great. I thank you. I'm just trying to think. I actually... So is today's the, the first technical Neil deGrasse and Tyson nerd official day <laughs> no, of No, Saturday was. Saturday was the first day. See, that makes sense because it did feel more like I it know. was closer to Saturday. This might have been the time, the one time where science, the eye test guys and the analytics right. guys Absolutely. on weather came together yeah. and agreed, hey, yep. we, we, have, we have evidence for what we're seeing here and we're uh -huh. backing it up. And the eye test guys said, we think this is correct. The gar on spring is yeah. right there. Here's the thing. It's yeah. uh, it's not, hey, it's spring and it's another zero degree day or there's some yeah. snow falling. It's spring and guess what? It's 15 degrees and sunny out. Yeah. It's actually almost summer. It's kind of no, outperforming its numbers crazy. even. Let's not get crazy. Let's not say crazy things on this program. Do you know, by, by the way, I was getting, it's definitely spring. Because we're starting to get those. You remember when the Raptors won the championship and a year later it was, oh, tonight's the anniversary of Kawhi versus the Sixers. And then yep. tonight's the anniversary of them coming back against the Bucks, And then yep. it was the anniversary of Kyle Lowry getting pushed by that weird owner who never wasn't really an owner but then was not an owner ever again. <laughs> yeah. And that's the anniversary of the championship. That was a lot cooler than COVID anniversaries, I've noticed yeah. mm -hmm. that right. that the year where we sat and celebrated Raptor stuff, or when we remembered Raptor stuff, was a lot cooler than remembering when everyone watched Tiger King. <laughs> this was the day one year ago yeah. today. I sat in my underwear on my couch mm -hmm. watching my children run into cardboard boxes because yeah. that was our only source of entertainment. Yeah. And I welled up with tears. Happy yeah. anniversary! Yeah. Happy anniversary <laughs> to the day where you sat in the tub and yelled at your wife, Just a minute! As you cried and ate ice cream alone, thinking you were going to lose your job in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> happy anniversary! We can laugh. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're happy, right. Happy anniversary! Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> there should honestly be a different yeah. name for it. It's like yeah, it's instead of uh, one year ago, don't even say anniversary. Anniversary is a celebration. Uh, you celebrate. I'm going to celebrate my 10 year wedding anniversary in the summer. I'm not celebrating any of these anniversaries. Okay. You know what? It it reminds me of people who had to work in those restaurants. Like, did you ever see the movie Waiting? Yes, and they have course. to go out and sing the birthday song to that oh. kid. And he's got to rally everybody to go sing the birthday song. Come on. We need singers. We need singers. That's COVID reminders of anniversaries, rallying the rest of us to come around the birthday cake that is remembering stuff mm -hmm. like Tiger King. Soon it'll be something else, the 90 Day Fiance guy. I don't know. Some other COVID anniversary, we're going to have to huddle around that birthday cake of the kid at the restaurant and sing the uncomfortable song. I don't love it. But really the cake is it. rancid. The cake is rancid. You take <sighs> one little cut into that cake and, uh, yeah, snakes come out of it. <laughs> I used to get – I think the first time I got high was when I was a kid, asked, lying that it was my birthday <laughs> at restaurants oh, for the free dessert and having your parents just kind of frozen in paralysis. <laughs> 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 
You are the ballsiest kid ever. So one, yeah. the first time you got high, you went to dinner with your parents. No, and I'm then... saying, I'm saying that that was the feeling of getting high. Was saying to that waitress or oh. waiter, "It's my birthday," and them going, "Oh, good." I figured it out probably when I was 11 or 12. I remember oh. them doing that for the first time, <laughs> and then just not caring oh, yeah. moving forward. Every time we went out to a restaurant, I was just, "Hey, I'm gonna get this dessert." Sometimes they'd even bring it to you before your dinner. It was Funny. amazing. It's yeah. a great move to pull on your uh, on your friends, which is I've had it pulled on me numerous times. Oh yeah, when you're older, you the, do that. Yeah, yeah, you go to the bathroom and then tell the waiter on your way past the table that yeah, it's this guy's birthday, and they bring the cake. Yeah, that's a good one. Actually, miss that. I miss interacting with people at restaurants. Let's just leave it at that. Man, how much did those restaurant people hate seeing kids that were 16 and above knowing it's his birthday? <laughs> just. Yeah. Red eyes sitting around a table <laughs> staring at you. This could be hilarious. Come yeah. out here and sing the song for our entertainment with minimum wage. Again, that's COVID anniversaries. So, a lot happened this weekend, but nothing bigger than the Leafs goaltending story. Of course. It's not a controversy, though. I push back to anyone calling it a controversy. It's not dissimilar to what's happening in Raptors land, where there's only one take. They're, they've lost mm. eight in a row. They're in 11th place. The trade deadline's in like four games. You try and trade anything that's not nailed down, that you're not looking at as being a part of your future. Mm. The Toronto Maple Leafs have not gotten the goaltending that they would so desire from Frederick Anderson. Jack Campbell is coming off back-to-back shutouts. He's obviously getting the next start. Now it doesn't uh it doesn't it doesn't muddy the waters the fact that Freddie Anderson is also injured. Next game's on Thursday against the Ottawa Senators, but yeah, there's not one person that would have a separate take than Jack Campbell gets to start on Thursday. You and your clever, clever use of language. Sure. I also believe Jack Campbell should get the net on Thursday night. I also believe most people would agree with that take. Some won't. Calling it a controversy at this point is a matter to me of semantics. I guess. This is the question I have to ask you. Do you think Jack Campbell is the guy you're trying to prepare for the playoffs at this point? Or is it likely that he could be the guy you're trying to prepare for the playoffs? Because that's... The really the, what the question to me comes down to is not whether or not Jack should get the net right now. He looks like the more confident player. He made a really athletic save in that game. He didn't have to do as much. I don't know if no. it's confirmation bias, whether or not I'm watching some of these games and the Leafs seem to play harder in front of this guy. And there are less high-danger opportunities. Um, all I know is it didn't feel like that guy had to do a million things. He's only faced 14 shots against all season in four games on the power play, which seems somewhat significant considering Freddie Anderson obviously playing way more has faced 83, but he's at least been reasonable on the power play or on the penalty kill. He's he's still been an above-average goaltender in that position. That's been the main bugaboo for the Leafs right now, but there were a few times in that game Saturday night where Jack Campbell came up with big saves. It wasn't... No question. It wasn't one of the ones from earlier in the year. I can't remember. There was one game. I think it was his well, first or second game. Well, the Oilers series, the yeah. three games, like the first two games of the Oilers series, the first two shutouts, and then Freddie Anderson comes into the third and gets the win, but uh, allows the only goal they allowed the entire series. The first two games, I, I could have played goal for the Leafs in those first two I, games. I, I it disagree. was not that. 
you you again COVID anniversaries. You well, it actually wasn't an anniversary. It was off of another tweet. Reminded people of shattering your ankle playing mm-hmm. disc golf. But yeah, you weren't even playing disc golf. You were walking. Had you actually been doing something athletic like throwing a disc, it would be different. But it wasn't. It was just walking. I was walking to my disc. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you're right. But he did come up with some big stops in this last game. He's only allowed four goals against in four games. His save percentage on the penalty kill is great. He looks confident. The team looks good in front of him. And I don't know what's going on with Freddie Anderson. I think some of it's overstated. Some of it's very, very real. But at this point, you're right. I I don't know what... The only justification you could have for playing Freddie on Thursday, if he was in fact healthy and ready to go, would be you do not believe Jack Campbell can win for you in the playoffs and that your only hope is Frederick Anderson and you need to get him right, and it starts with that. Dude, we've done this conversation before, right, where Mm -hmm. they had an opportunity to go to Jack Campbell a year ago, Mm -hmm. and we thought this is the pivot point. Either you go with Jack Campbell and you see what he can give you the rest of the way and maybe rides as wave of confidence right into the playoffs. But if you truly believe that Frederick Anderson's highest of highs can outdo Jack Campbell and he gives you the best chance to win a postseason series, then you have to hand him the net. Guess what happened? Sheldon Keefe, time after time after time, has handed Frederick Anderson the net. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen on Thursday. And again, maybe they hide. It's not hiding behind the excuse of the injury because he is clearly injured. Both guys have gone through injuries. And I don't doubt that Freder- Frederick Anderson has re-aggravated that thing. That's why he wasn't even the backup on Saturday. But I think those times are behind us because, one, he's not been rancid in the postseason, but he hasn't won a postseason series. And in these Game 7s or Game 5s, it hasn't been – he hasn't been the better goalie. And if he were, we'd be talking about this team very differently because they would have won these series. So this may seem like a cop-out answer when you ask the question, do you feel more confident about Jack Campbell in the postseason than Frederick Anderson? I don't know, and I don't know how anyone could say they do know. The guy has never played a postseason game. He's a high-pedigree guy. He's been pretty damn good as a member of the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's had extended runs where he's been a starter in the National Hockey League and not been good. What I know right now is I'm going to spend the rest of my season finding out. That's what I want to know. Yeah, that's and that's the correct take. At this point, it's a at the very best for Frederick Anderson, it's a goaltending tandem. That's it. We we were going through and we were nitpicking all the different things that Kyle Dubas said. I mentioned he called them a tandem. You said that was nothing. I said it was something or that it was less than or more than nothing. That's what we're going to see moving forward, right? Freddie Freddie Anderson gets this opportunity right now where maybe he sits out a couple of games and gets quote-unquote healthy. He's probably just banged up and sore and needs a little bit of a rest and could use it to recuperate. But I have to imagine that still the best thing for someone going through a period like this is playing, is getting the opportunity to change the narrative, that you go out there and every day you get to do the same thing. I watched, have, you've, you've watched that Formula One show, right? The F1 yes. Drive to Survive? Oh, so good. Freddie Anderson right now, it's weird because I'm comparing him to, I think, a 20-year-old kid from France. But do you remember when... There's a driver for Red Bull. They bring him up. He's 20 years old, and he's just not ready, and he's getting bad result after bad result, and it's getting worse and worse and worse, and he's in his own head, and the media is really building it up, and he talks about the effects of the media on him. I will admit that part of me 
really does believe that this is bleeding into it. That the entire conversation around the Toronto Maple Leafs for basically the last month has been, hey, the team is essentially exempt from criticism. Sure, you would like to upgrade a thing or two, but really it all comes down to this one guy and he's blowing it. And it's this one guy that nobody trusts. And it's one guy when he lets in one goal. I have to believe that what's happening with Freddie Anderson right now is partially physical, that he's 31 years old and he's not as athletic as he once was. Clearly, because, dude... He's, you know what his save percentage is on the PK now? Yeah, it's like 700. 783. <laughs> He's given up 18 goals. Yeah. So part of it, I think, is the inability to make those massive saves. It's just maybe that's gone from him. But I also think part of it is got to be mental. And that goal Friday night, I think it was the third one. Third one, They went yeah. into the panel, and Elliot Friedman's talking about it, asking exactly what it is there, if whether it's a shooter that's supposed to get in the lane and block the shot or what Freddie Anderson's doing on that play, and whether we're going to get an explanation. And there really do seem to be times where there's a tension on the ice between he and the team. And sometimes we put our own thoughts on those moments. There's no doubt about it. There could be players on that bench that would disagree. But I thought when he let in that third goal, that team looked deflated. That team looked frustrated. He looked upset. His body language reeked, and they didn't recover from it. And it has not looked the same way when Jack Campbell's in that. This note from Luke Fox uh, after the game on Saturday. Toronto Maple Leafs had seven block shots in that game Friday night against the Calgary Flames in front of yeah. Frederick Anderson. They had 16 in front of Jack Campbell. So I don't yeah. know. like maybe That's small sample size stuff, but that would play into exactly what you're talking about. It is a danger area, though, when we're talking about what a guy's thinking and how this outside – stuff is impacting his play but if we're gonna do that and I've thought a lot about this over the weekend how I feel about it and how it would make me feel and understanding I a little bit about Frederick Anderson Mm -hmm. is the whole conversation about him in the offseason coming off his worst year as a professional going into a contract year and having his general manager have to dispel the hey we're taking offers on Frederick Anderson rumors like is there a carryover there guy knows what's happening obviously paying attention I don't know I, I can't say for certain I can't say for certain it's not an issue I can't say for certain that it's not impacting his game sure. right now the main point here is he's very clearly the scapegoat he's very clearly the scapegoat for a team that has not for the most popular hockey team on the planet that has not won a Stanley Cup since there were more than six teams in a time where they've been better positioned to win since there were six teams. Mm -hmm. He's aging, and he's not as good as he used to be. It has to be an incredible amount of pressure. Yes. It it, it doesn't... And that's the position, that's the job, and especially in this market, and I get that. And you know what? There was probably a ton of pressure when he arrived here, when they signed him to that deal, that extension, before he played a game. But he came out of the gates pretty rough, if you'll recall. Sure. Well, I think he came out of the gates pretty rough for a week or two. But either way, yes. the, the point is he probably is in one of the like most difficult positions in sports right now. I can't think of many guys that you wouldn't want to or that you would trade places with with Freddie Anderson. Who, who are those guys? Paul George on the Clippers where you're supposed to be the number two guy and the team is just not quite there and you can't seem to get it done in the playoffs or in crunch time this season. And now you're looking at Kawhi, the end of his prime prime, 
I don't know. Who knows how much longer Kawhi has. But either way, the Clippers don't look very good this year. They look desperate. So Paul George is probably one of those guys that's going to get clowned on or that is dealing with an immense amount of pressure. He's actually been public about how he's trying to deal with this stuff. I, I, I'm just saying that those names don't come top of mind. Freddie Anderson's out there alone. And at this point, I really believe what you're trying to do is get him to a place where he feels healthy and he feels reasonably confident that he can get the job done and that the team is going to play the same way in front of him as they will in front of Jack Campbell. That's another small sample, subjective, reading a lot into a statistic like block shots. But we've all seen that where the team does give better efforts in front of the backups. It's, it's been a trend now for more than a year where they've done something like this. Maybe, just maybe, if they find some type of a rhythm with these two playing a little bit more of a split, they can get back to something where they're a little bit more consistent, where they're not riding these roller coaster rides of what they look like in front of and uh, uh, different goaltenders. So everybody, I think, should be rooting for Freddie Anderson to get right because the team is obviously best positioned, even if you think Jack Campbell is the best goaltender that they're in a position where if he does struggle or if he doesn't play well in the playoff game that you imagine him being in, that they can go to Freddie Anderson and the Leafs have a guy who at one point in his career has looked like an all-star. Yeah, and if your take is, well, if you have two goaltenders, you have none when it comes to the playoffs. So that's but that's not true anymore. That's, that's an old yeah, trope. An yeah, Absolutely incorrect take. Like this is... You every single year there's a team that starts a goaltender, makes a mid-series change in goaltending. There's... The NHL and the playoff history over the last couple of years littered with teams like that. And also, here's the other thing. This is not a new thing for Jack Campbell to get hurt, right? Mm -hmm. Like, he's gotten the net before and done pretty well with the Kings, and then all of a sudden it's an injury. So you're going to need both of these guys in another condensed schedule. This is the only respite in time for the rest of the season. Once they hit the ice on Thursday, it's back to, like, every other day playing. You're going to need both these guys in the regular season. You're probably going to need both these guys in the postseason. I hope they end up with one guy who's clearly the guy. That would be great. But as of right now, yeah, split and a split is fine. A couple of years ago, you and I had this discussion. We did it as one of our major themes of our show, which is goaltenders that play the amount that Freddie Anderson has played in his career as a Maple Leaf he's played he started 66 games in back-to-back yeah. seasons yeah. that we're gonna look at that someday the way that we look at Ed Belfour playing 74 games or Roy Halladay right? with like eight complete games in a season yes that those are not going to be frequent occurrences every once in a while you might have a freak goaltender who you need to give the net to that much who's in his prime age and can handle the the load but moving forward, this is going to be a little bit more status quo. And if the Leafs can somehow pitch that to Freddie Anderson at this point, it's going to probably be beneficial. It's just hard when you have been that guy and now you have to recalibrate and step in under different circumstances. But yeah, I, I don't know. You can say it's not a controversy or whatever, but it's it's the number one story moving forward at this point. It, yeah. it almost makes you forget that the Leafs haven't made a, a trade yet. A team that's been <laughs> trying to send... People love trade rumors in this market. 
People love talking about trades. There's no more interesting time when then a team is competitive and they're willing to move significant long-term pieces into the middle to try and acquire help. The conversation has felt very muted over the last week. Despite a real uh, urgency or what felt like urgency leading into this, it seems so secondary to what's going on with the goaltending issues right now. The other thing is, and we'll talk about this with Bourne, I, I want to pivot to a quick Raptors thing before we take our first break. I still don't see the force from Austin Matthews. He's getting results. He's playing fine. I, this is not a Austin Matthews criticism. I just don't think he's healthy. I don't see the same wrist shot. I don't see the same force to anything he's doing that we were comparing this guy to Connor McDavid earlier in the season. So if there's a list of reasons why I don't think the Leafs could win this year, clearly goaltending is number one right now. But... The nervousness in me of Austin Matthews is never going to get right and that this is something that he's just going to have to deal with for the rest of the season, that's percolating, man. That's really percolating for me. And I don't know if it's just me. I don't see a lot of people doing it or saying it or if it's a hesitancy to say anything about Austin Matthews. I don't really think it's a critical one, so not sure why no one would bring it up. But I can't understand how people would be seeing the same guy we saw earlier in the year right he's not this this is not the same guy every night well i know what you're saying and i agree he did hit three posts over the weekend right like he yep. hit, and he's the nhl i'm not leader, saying he hit. can't shoot it mm-hmm. I, i'm it's just that it everything about it doesn't look as good even yeah. the passing yeah no i'm with you and the fact that sheldon keith i don't know wants to defend him, wants to make it seem like it's better than it is, like going into that game on Friday, talking about filling the net in practice on Thursday. Like, who's ever said that before? Yeah, he looks who great cares? in practice. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Way to go. <laughs> I, I, no, I've never heard that before. That was a little bit curious. It's Good Show's Leafs Hour. It's a Monday, which means it's time for March Madness Bracket Expert. Justin Bourne of Hockey Central. Are you gonna you gonna maybe start to shift into a role with Daniela? You guys gonna get a podcast talking about yeah. college hoops? Well, the the key thing in the <laughs> ever changing landscape of sports media industry is remaining versatile. Yeah. Versatile. So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's gonna be my my next foray for sure. I haven't even looked at the brackets because I have Illinois winning, no. and my yearly tradition is that I pick a team to win the tournament that gets bounced in one of the first two rounds. I do it every single year. It's actually incredible. All I know is everybody was texting me saying, Bourne's winning, Bourne's winning, Bourne's winning. Well, so, I think you should look at the updated standings because if you would, you would realize that Eric Smith has won, but that I am also tied with Justin Bourne for second with 21 points. It, oh... Wow, we got a couple bracket experts on the show today. Honest to God, I said to Lance, like right before we came on, technical director there, old Lance just said, uh, uh, he asked how my bracket was going, and I was like, I don't know. I never know. I just assume I lose the second I send in my $20, and this is the first I've heard that it's not going all that terribly. Here's here's the difference between us two is my – it gives you your points, which is 29. We both have 29. And then your possible points with the teams that you have remaining. I'm only at 105. You're 147. So, yeah, you're you're well above me in the potential – for four points. As this <laughs> Who do you have to win? Did you pick the Zags? Jayhawks. Jayhawks. Jayhawks to win? That's yeah. tough. That's going to be tough. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I, I think I don't. I told you my strategy. I, yeah. I picked purely on historical, like being like, yeah. oh, I 
know that's a basketball yeah. school. Oh. Like, yeah, that's a basketball oh. school too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, guess what? Historically, that's probably worked out for you for a reason. Right. No, that's the way you need to treat March Madness pools. Is that when you don't? It's that you're donating the money to a, yeah. a friendship slash community cause. That that's what you're doing. It's not even gambling. Gambling, you have a chance of winning. No one has ever won a bracket before. No one. No, that's <laughs> actually a, that's <laughs> such an unknown fact that no one yeah. has never, ever won a March Madness yeah. bracket. Who's it's, checking it's in on this? Who's checking in to see that someone actually received the money for a bracket? No one. No one's ever received it. No. Good old Lance, Lance is like down Milton there. in office yeah. space. He's just like on a beach <laughs> sipping a margarita with all the money he stole yeah. from employees. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Why do you think he's taking so many vacation days? He's just out there. He's like, oh, I got to go to Bora Bora this weekend with the March Madness bracket money that I've been accumulating over all the years. Although the funny thing is, is that I think Lance buzzed in my ear that none of us have paid him yet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, no, I certainly yeah. have. I have. I know so, I have. Oh, you have? Okay, yeah. It's so, never been easier to send yeah. money to human beings I know. than the internet. It's, it's literally the two clicks away, and yeah, I, know. No, I haven't it's done it. Truly You'll get terrible. your money, Lance. It's truly terrible. Last last thing on this, because I do, we have plenty of Leafs talk to do, but we are all sports fashion. We all love sports fashion. We all have mm. uh, very strong opinions when it comes to sports fashion. Do the Kansas Jayhawks have the nicest uniform in basketball when they go with the whites or the blues with the red and the fact that they have a font that is unique to them Mm -hmm. that if you see a font in kansas jayhawk font that's what you think automatically is that's jayhawk font given their history the fact that naismith was there all the factors that go into a, a jersey do the kansas jayhawks have the best one in the history of basketball i i would say definitively yes if you're going traditional, then I guess I, I would lean that way. My favorite right now are the Miami Vice, Miami Heat jerseys, oh, the, 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 the powder blue. I love those things. Go ahead. Way I to feel ruin like North Carolina can, can make a case in the college yeah. ranks. I feel like sure. that's a pretty iconic look. It's pretty awesome, too. I love the Miami Heat Vice ones, but the idea that you would put them at the top, like well, basketball has to send. Yeah, you're, God, you ruin everything. Well, like I <laughs> just cut his mic, Lance. Like the, it's just the, the best ruiner of, of all time, and you mention Miami Heat yeah, Vice. I know Vice. I know, like oh my, indefensible. Like just this. Ah, oh, I, st- I don't stick even to my story. Miami yeah. Vice, Miami Heat jerseys are incredible. I hate you. <laughs> I mean, it seems extreme, but yeah. Okay, no, that's a it's bit appropriate. Heavy. No, it's appropriate in this situation. God, here we are doing a fun thing, and you come in there with your bag of with sand and throw it in fun. everybody's eyes. Yeah, no, it's awful. Anyway, the Leafs, their goaltenders, their goaltenders are the topic of our nightmares. Where we just are, we're in this now inescapable place where it just, it's the main topic of conversation every single day it feels like it dominates our text messages our the way we prep for these shows the thing that we watch for today ennis set it up as it's not a controversy in that you're just playing campbell thursday even if freddie anderson was fully healthy it wouldn't matter do you feel the same way that the goaltending situation right now is the and the way you handle it is not controversial uh, yeah, first off, let me just say that the Leafs goaltending situation completely neuters me as an analyst. Like, it, I, it's like my kryptonite as like a guy yeah. who can break down hockey, and it's like, oh, goaltending? I don't know. I don't know. Here's the thing. The Leafs don't know. Freddie, Freddie and Jack Campbell, they don't know. Like, here's my, my sort of look at this from here on out. 
is that, yes, I agree with Ben that you know Jack Campbell's going to start the next hockey game. If it goes well, he's probably going to start the one after that, and you're going to give him a little run of time. Mm-hmm. I think you got to see at this point how much of this run of play is sustainable for him. Like, this is a guy who's never been a starter, never played. Mm-hmm. You know, a starter has to start 10 games in a month and three games in a week and stay healthy and be consistent, and we don't know if Jack Campbell can do that. But at this point, you better have, find out. I do like the idea that if you, you know, you take this run of time with Jack Campbell and it doesn't pan out, you've rested Freddie. And Freddie yep. has made some comments in the uh, in the media already about his health and he's not where he wants to be and you know he's tr- he wants to play through it. And well, you're going to put him in a situation where he doesn't have to play through it. And the worst thing that comes out of it is he gets rested and gets another crack to find his form again. So it's kind of like, to, to Ben's point, not much of a controversy about what to do next because it's Jack time. So I know the Maple Leafs are tied with the Edmonton Oilers atop the North Division. I know it's scary times. Maybe the Leafs don't win the division, even though they have games in hand. Jets have finally lost back-to-back games in regulation for the first time this season. They played two poor games, like really poor games over the stretch, and those were the back-to-back games against the Jets and uh, against the Senators. Other than that, they've grossly outplayed the other teams. They haven't gotten saves, and they haven't got the puck luck, which is, yeah, man, that's not nothing, and quite often that's hockey. They're going to still win this division, probably going away, if they just play the way they've played all season long. Plus, they're probably going to add a top six forward. The job now, for me, the rest of the season, is to do what you just said, born research and development. Because I don't know, and I said this off the top, I don't know if Jack Campbell can hack it in the postseason, lead this team to a Stanley Cup. It's terrifying. I know it is, but guess what? I don't know that Freddie Anderson can do it either. So what we're going to do is we're going to see how long you can ride this Jack Campbell thing. You're probably going to need both goalies even during the regular season because it's all jammed up. After this Thursday, we're back into the the meat grinder of this jam-packed season. That's my number one goal going forward is seeing what you got in your goaltenders. And the idea of protecting Freddie Anderson's state of mind or making him feel like he's the number one, those days are, are done. It's just open competition, rest of the season, Probably open competition going into the postseason, which sounds scary because Leaf fans have not been in this situation, but it's it's not unprecedented. Yeah, I don't hate the idea of, like, you're going into a playoff series and you've decided Jack Campbell's the better of your two guys and Freddie's on the bench. And it's like, okay, maybe Jack Campbell can do a Matt Murray, Jordan Biddington thing here and, like, first crack at serious games, take us on a deep run superhero thing. And if it doesn't pan out, then you're kind of going with a guy who you wanted to go with. I don't think you have to worry about his ego or his confidence because he has no confidence and his ego is taking a beating right now. Is There's no fixing that artificially. So... As much as I, you know, I, I have uh, championed that idea before, I think at this point it, you just have to see if Jack Campbell can be a hero, and if not, then you go with the plan that it, you go with what was always going to be the plan in the first place. So we've made a lot of assumptions about Freddie Anderson, and we continue to, and I'll make another one. There has been this belief he does not like having a guy pushing him that even when the Leafs acquired Jack Campbell, it was, well, this isn't going to sit well with him. He doesn't like it. In fact, there were rumors immediately that he was upset. There were rumors that he was so upset that it started the trade conversation around Freddie Anderson in the first place. 
I think where he's at right now, not having those guarantees, having something else to think about, which is that he has to battle for the net, not just lose the net, might be beneficial for him. Right. You know, it's something else. I mean, right. it's something else to give this guy to think about and focus on. And what has been working or what they have been doing hasn't been working. So to your point, you got to try something. And this is definitely something. Exactly. So I really do believe his amount of criticism has been ridiculous. And I know that we probably use the barometer of social media too much, but it's not just there. It's everywhere. And it, it is. Everyone has pinned Freddie Anderson as a scapegoat. All of a sudden, there's this revisionist history that this guy has not been a good enough goaltender for the Leafs over the, his five-year tenure because they lost to the Bruins in a couple of Game 7s. It's nuts. It, it really is. This guy has been an exceptional player for this team. In fact, if you want to look over what Lou Lamorello's best moves were, number one is clearly trading Greg McKegg for Zach Hyman. But when it comes to trades, number two with a bullet is acquiring Freddie Anderson for what I think was a first-round pick. It's unbelievable that they did that trade. He was awesome for the Leafs. He has not been awesome for a year now. He's had stretches where he's looked great, but there has not been a consistent, hey, you believe in this guy to get the job done night in, night out. And there has been a compounding effect when he's gone through these slumps of it seems to bleed into the attitude into the body language of the team. It, it just has. And it certainly looks that way as of late. So you sit him down and you shake things up. And to be honest, this really does remind me, I brought this up Warren, earlier in the show, when you're watching, you and I both love this show, the, the Formula One uh, oh, Drive yeah. to Survive. This now kind of feels like one of those race car situations where you've got the two cars and the two drivers are on the same team, but, but. they need to be matching and holding each other against the, the other person's lap time. And you've got to be within the same uh, couple of milliseconds in order for you to keep your position. Well, guess what? The Leafs are the Red Bull car. And there's a lot of pressure here. You've got to make sure that you get this thing done. And if you're not, you're not going to get those minutes. You're going to lose your seat. And that's what Freddie Anderson's facing right now. He's the older guy. I know Jack Campbell's not the young upstart, but he's the older guy who's been in the position in the car, and he has yet to get it done for a while now. And all of a sudden, the eyes of the organization are starting to look to the young guy and, and say, you've got to either do it or you're going to get cut. And, and, and we, it's, know it's not, we know it's not the car's fault because the car is real fast. Like we yep, know the, the car, car is, is fast. fast. Yeah. The car is fast. It's it's crazy too. Like um, looking at potential replacements. Like let's say the Leafs believed Freddie just wasn't good enough and they needed someone else. Like whatever else they're gonna bring in, it's the same goalie. You, you know, like it's no, you want Jonathan Quick, a guy who might be awesome, uh, probably isn't anymore. You know, isn't that what we're dealing with here? Uh, just looking around the league, you're not gonna part with a significant asset to get to say get Darcy Kemper when. No. There's no guarantee Darcy Kemper's going to play any better than Freddie would. And now you're wasting that asset and that money and yada, yada. So it, it's Freddie. You have Jack. You have Freddie. We're going to see if Jack can play. And if Jack can't play, we're going to see if Freddie can play. If neither of them can play, the Leafs lose. That's it. <laughs> that's it. That's honestly what it comes down to. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And that's, I mean, it's reduction, uh, reduction, reducing it? I don't know, whatever. You're reducing it to that statement, but it's so damn true. Uh, mentioned this Luke Fox tweet over the weekend about the number of block shots in front of 
Freddie Anderson in front of Jack Campbell. There was only seven in front of Freddie Anderson. There were 16 in front of Jack Campbell. Are you noticing a significant difference in this team's attitude in its play in front of both goaltenders? No, I think they gave up like 19 shots or 18 shots to the Flames the night before that Freddie was in net. It's, Mm -hmm. I just think, purely circumstantial. I do think there's cases where you're like, hey, the Zamboni goalie's in net. Everyone needs to block every conceivable puck. But I don't think it's like that with Jack Campbell where they're like, hey, we need to be diving in front of shots to make sure he doesn't see them. You know, I think there's a a level of trust there with him. you know, so I think something like that is is just circumstantial. I I'm most curious to see Campbell in a run of games like Freddie plays minutes for this Leafs team and has yeah. played minutes for a long time. Jack Campbell, you know, uh, JD made the joke last week. I think that like you know we said Jack would come in and pitch a shutout, and you guaranteed he'd be like uh, you know on ice bags for a week after that because every time he plays well, he gets hurt. Well, okay. He's going to have to play well consistently if this is going to be his job. Everyone I talk to is like, ah, Jack Campbell's crease. Okay, well, he's got to stay healthy. It's it's a oh. lot of work being a starting goalie. This is not – there. yeah, I do not believe this isn't a moving target. That, again, you're moving forward saying, well, he's the guy. All of the – I think that people being skeptical, which I have absolutely seen, of whether or not Campbell can handle an increased workload and stay healthy and make these saves over a larger sample, those are very real. We're finding those out. That gets back to Ben's research and development thing is, hey, Jack um, – if you want to be the guy in net this season, if you want to be a guy who gets the majority of the starts next season, you do have to put together... Again, we know the Leafs have a fast car. Can you drive it? Can you drive this fast car? And we're going to find out at least a little bit about that if he can stay healthy. But the prospect, I still believe this. I, I really do. I still believe that the goal is... You're trying to figure out the best way to, A, get Freddie Anderson healthy, and B, get his mind right because you want him in the postseason. That he, it, You still have your best opportunity to win with a guy who has a greater track record of winning than Jack Campbell. I'm sorry. I, I'm not going to be moved off of that belief because Jack Campbell's allowed four goals in four games this season. He's right. played four games. Yeah. Yeah. What's crazy about the research and development thing, though, is just like there are 24 games left in the year. 24. Yeah. Like, we're at game, essentially game 60. What would it be? It's 58. Game 58 in a normal season right now. Like, it's not common for teams to go, let's figure out what we've got at the crease now. You know, this is like, okay, we know exactly what we are at every scenario. position. You know, maybe this is trade deadline time in a normal season. We know what we are and nothing changes. So it's a little frightening for, for the Leafs and their fans to be figuring out what they have in the crease with so little time left. So... This brings me to the next thing, though. I'm glad that you set it up this way, where normally you're not supposed to have research and development when it comes to what you have in goal. Do the Leafs... Is there too much research and development with what they have up front right now? I I said that Alex Galchenyuk is a placeholder for whoever they want to go out and acquire. That the reason he's on that line is because he's never going to be on that line. They're going to swap him out. You're not going into the postseason this year and saying, well, our hopes are going to rest with Alex Galchenyuk, the guy that's a reclamation project now on his, what, fifth team in four years? The Senators' 14th best forward. Right. And there's been been some of those takes where the people go, well, he's only this, he's only 27 or whatever. It's just, yeah, come on, give me a break. He's, he's not going to be there. They're trying actively to replace him, and they are telling Tavares and Nylander, hey, don't get too comfortable with someone. 
There's no point in you getting too comfortable with someone. We're going to go out and find you someone. That said, the same thing keeps happening with the top six where sometimes Thornton's up, sometimes Hyman's there. Now we got Alex Galchenyuk with those guys. It's still going to be two weeks, assuming Toronto trades with another team from the, the states from when they acquire whoever this top six winger is. Are we overlooking that a little bit, the, the amount of tinkering and the amount of change that has been going on in the top six over the last couple of weeks? Well, you know, I don't know, because it's, it's such a tight season, and the Leafs had a lot of turnover. As much as the core of this team was the same, I think they got 10 new players or something between last season and this year. So I think they were owed, like, a decent run of time, and everyone uh, was owed a decent run of time in different positions in the roster to at least see what they look like. But that does bring us to a point where we're like, okay, is it time to shore up some of these things and just go forward with some consistency? You know, as much as you see great teams tinker with their lines, you generally have an idea what the top lines look like, um, you know, when you're heading into the postseason. I do think, and before the season, one of the things that um, I said that I think has come to fruition here is that Joe Thornton is going to get the chance to put the Leafs in, this, in a position to say, okay, we gave you a run and it didn't work. You know, I think they wanted to give him that opportunity, so he didn't come in and they put him right on the fourth line playing 12 minutes a night, and then he's miserable and, you know, not happy with his decision. They gave him a chance to come and be a top-line guy for this team, but I think it's starting to run its course where it's the middle of the season, he looks like he's 40-something years old, it's not quite working, and now he's going to be a bottom-six player for this team moving forward. Yeah, I, I'm of two minds, because I look at some of the great coaches in all of sports, and they adjust a lot. I mean, Nick Nurse, that's one of his calling cards, is he's like a different mad sport. scientist. Yeah, it's an entirely different sport. But you mentioned stability on the top line. Mike Matthews and Marner have been together basically all season long. And I think we all know that barring, even if they get some uh, mind-blowing player uh, before the trade deadline, that that top line, when it matters, is going to be Hyman, Matthews, and Marner. The rest of it, though, I kind of like the idea that on a back-to-back -back, that you can basically run your number one line and the rest of them, you can roll the other three lines. I think there's something to be said for the ability to adjust, to not get locked I in, especially con considering the sport <laughs> where there's so many injuries and guys are in and out of the lineup all the time. I'm with you, Ben. I, I, I love the idea that they have... Uh, options and things that they can do when things aren't working. Like it, it. What options? Don't want to be in a what position. are you guys talking about? They've got 43-year-old Joe Thornton up on the top line. There's, it's. You know what their option is? Their option is that they have Zach Hyman, who they can put anywhere, and he's good. That's the option. They have Alex Galchenyuk in the top six right now. They've been cycling out this bottom line or this bottom uh, this fourth line all season long because they can't find a guy. It's been, oh, this Boyd is a moment and Patan is a moment. Like the, the forward depth or all the flexibility of thereof, the coach is complaining that he, he can't really make it look any different. He keeps trying, but it doesn't work. Well, I don't know. I would say earlier in the season, you've had moments where you've said, like, every decision Dubas has made has worked. All these guys yep. look good. And it's like, just because Travis Boyd hits a tough spell for a couple of weeks doesn't sure. mean that he's not a guy that can play in your fourth line for, you know, 10 minutes a night or whatever. And, and Simmons coming, you know, getting back to form will help. Engvall has had his moments of sort of uh, finding things. So, yeah, it's not no one I want to lean on in a playoff series mm -hmm. and be like, well, they've got Engvall. But I do feel like you know, they can shuffle those guys around and play pretty much everyone up and down the lineup. And I think that was a, a, the goal with a lot of these guys is that it's not like some meathead who has to play six minutes a night. A lot of these guys can take a run on a line higher up 
and still look okay and have the hands to finish if they get a chance. Yeah, I think that's true. I also don't look at them and think, wow, this is some wildly versatile lineup where you can just move the pieces around and you feel as good about where they're. I, I don't think Thornton should be on the top line. I think that you basically need to be in the offensive zone for you to feel halfway good about it. Like starting there and have the possession of the puck. And okay, then it's all right. The third line, I don't believe, is going to be good enough with Hyman as the main driver in a playoff series. Like, eventually, uh, sure, maybe if there is a third-line center there that's different, it could work a little bit better. But the idea that because we've seen some regular season games where those guys have been dominant, uh, that it's going to work, it seems like a bit of a stretch to me. Ultimately, what it comes down to is the Leafs have four really good forwards who can carry the rest of the team. <laughs> they can keep shuffling the deck chairs because everybody else outside of Hyman has been basically the same as in, meh. Like, okay, well, the drop-off is not big. It's it's not to me so much that the upside of the other guys has been so incredible, right? Like, isn't it more a story of mediocrity? And yes, Kyle Dubas has done great moves around the fringes. To get the production you've gotten out of Thornton, Spezza, and Wayne Simmons when they're healthy is phenomenal for their salaries. And yeah, you're not really going to upgrade that necessarily outside of the one forward you're going to get. I'm just saying that I, at some point, they've got to settle into a decision here for me. Once they either get this player... To me, I hope anyways that it's just more Zach Hyman on the top line and less of the moving back and forth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that, and that makes a lot of sense to me too. I, it, it has been a, a lot of guess and test. I, I do hope that like once we pass this trade deadline, we're not talking about what the different lines look like. I can't remember a time right. since Sheldon Keefe has been the coach where we've just had the lines. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah. For sure. Like, it's just and like, then, yeah, we know what the four lines Every night it's healthy. different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they, I, I know that all teams do a little bit of shuffling up. It would just be nice to see them find something for them. I, I can't help but feel like one player coming in isn't going to be enough, and I don't know what that means necessarily because I know that if they get two players, all of a sudden the quality of player you get changes. So I'm very, very curious to what they see. I'm guessing next time when we talk, next Monday – don't do a, this. There's a different option. Don't for this do team. this. We, we we did this whole week of shows last week where we're like Friday is kind of the unofficial deadline, and mm. then Friday hit and nothing happened. So I'm not willing to go there. But yeah, I hope you're right because uh, yeah, <laughs> there's only uh, so much Ricard Raquel content I can consume. Um, this is a good way yeah. to pivot, though. This is a good <laughs> way to pivot into the break. Well, how much pressure is on Kyle Dubas this week? Mm -hmm. I would yeah. say a lot. All right, we'll talk about ben, it. Ben, how's your ankle, next. by the way? I saw those pictures online. You okay? Yeah. Okay, you're good no. to later? Okay. <laughs> as much as Kevin Barker told me that I would have chronic ankle pain for the rest of my life, <laughs> has not, in fact, turned out that way. And I don't feel it when it's about to rain. Uh, but my sneaky favorite memory of your ankle injury was that moment. Ennis has just broken his ankle. He's not in a great place mentally. He's sitting in the lounge at the office. And Kevin Barker, he of Baseball Central straddles up beside him, sits down, starts laughing in his face, oh, yeah. and goes, what'd you do? You break your ankle? And Ben goes, yeah. He goes, ha, ha I did that. Uh, pain for the rest of my life. I can't, I can't sleep some nights. It hurts so bad. It's, it's going to hurt you so bad for the rest of your life. Ha, ha, good luck with that. And then he just walks away and just drops that bomb and leaves him. In that. It, I oh, laughed good. so hard. It was so great. I loved it. A certain uh, persona non grata comedian has a wonderful bit about chronic crappy ankle, which you can go yes. ahead and look up if you, if you enjoy yes. it. Yes, it's a great bit. It's a very, very great bit. And it is yeah. Ben Ennis. 
Good, good friend, Kevin Barker. All right, uh, more of uh, Good Show's Leafs Hour with Justin Bourne. We continue Sportsnet 590 The Fan. It's Good Show's Leafs Hour on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I'm J.D. Bunkus. He's Ben Ennis. We've got Justin Bourne on the line. You can follow us on all our social channels at J.D. Bunkus, at Sportsnet Ben, and at J.T. Bourne. So... We want to talk about Kyle Dubas and the pressure that's on him heading into this week because, yeah, I do think it's sort of got to be this week where the Leafs make a trade. But before we do that, I need to ask Justin Bourne a question because he didn't text me back about this question. He just rudely ignored. And, yeah, yeah, fatherhood and whatever, all the other excuses he has for not just replying to a simple text. I messaged you that Austin Matthews is not playing with the same force as earlier in the season. And my concerns are mounting when it comes to the health of his wrist and whether or not it's going to get back to where I think it needs to be for the Leafs to win a Stanley Cup. Austin Matthews is still a very, very good hockey player. He's still one of the best hockey players on the planet. But when he was fully healthy, we were comparing him to the best hockey player on the planet. And lately, those takes look a little foolish because I don't think his wrist is fully healthy. What do you make of where he's at physically what what you see when it comes to him snapping the puck around both passing and shooting am i over exaggerating am i overstating am i overly concerned no the the red flags for me are that they ever had him try a different position on the power play like had him in the bumper spot for a hot second there and it was like okay well What's happening here? Because that's not what you do with Austin Matthews. That's like, yeah, we have Alex Ovechkin screening at the net front or whatever. And it's like, well, okay. You know, that's not what what happens there. So, red flags for sure. The things aren't quite right with the way it feels. Bigger red flag is that I know um, the Leafs uh, strength guy. He was with the Marlies when I was there. Uh, Rich Rotenberg is there, um, you know, I guess... I don't know his technical term, but would be dealing with the sports science side of things. And he's very cautious. And so he would come into the team, into the coaches meeting every day, uh, which we called Festivus, which was the airing of grievings, every, grievances every single day. And everyone says all their problems and we sort it out as a team. And, you know, this guy, was, it was always like, okay, well, this guy can play, but I think he should wait a week. And it was always like, well, if he can play, he can play, you know, a debate with the coaches. He's cautious. So if Austin Matthews needed a week of rest or two weeks of rest and the Leafs are first in the division and their hopes hinge on him being a powerhouse. I believe he would be getting it. I, I now think, and this is, uh, was implied in your text that I saw and meant to get back to and didn't. And it's not cause I don't love you. Um, I, I now think that, yeah, there is something that needs to be done with the wrist oh. that they think if they do it oh, now, no. don't do it. Yeah, I do. I think it's something that they did it now. They, he'd be out and he would miss this season. And, I think it's something structural, probably, that you can't just rest and get better. That would be bad, because not unlike the goalie thing, where it's like, hey, everything's going great, and you got a great car, fast car, and then you know the goalie they crash it into the wall, and none of it matters. I think if you don't have a fully healthy Austin Matthews, a guy who, even with a, a bit of a wrist injury, if you don't have something close to the guy that I stand by those takes... I'm not backing down just because Connor McDavid is doing his Connor McDavid thing because he did look like Connor McDavid early in the season when he was filling the net. Like something close to that guy. If you don't have that guy, I don't care who you're bringing in, you, you might get through this North Division. You're not getting through whoever you face in the Stanley Cup semifinal. Right. And yeah. so I've I don't I, I just I've been very, very uh 
what is it, leery, wary, uh, we- nervous? No, weary, wary, and leery are a tough, tough combo. No, I know, words. but it's not weary. It's yeah. wary. W a r y. Wary. I've been very wary to bring the. I think potentially Austin Matthews needs wrist surgery and has been and will be putting it off. But I, I just. Would it shock anyone at this point if the Leafs got knocked out of the playoffs and that's exactly the media release you get right away? Is Austin Matthews needed surgery on his wrist from point X forward and is now getting it and he'll be out for six months? Let's figure this out. Let's figure it out. Let's get a doctor on and be like, what What could happen with that. the wrist? I, I was just reminded of that. We did, and it was a wrist thing no, for Austin. Awesome. No, no, it was shoulder. shoulder. It was his shoulder. It was his shoulder. It was a yeah. shoulder thing. But it <laughs> yes. could not have gone worse, Borden, because this doctor we had on, we brought him on to talk about Austin Matthews' shoulder because after the second time that he separated it, we wanted to discuss the potential of it becoming a reoccurring injury and how right. risky it was going to be with him playing. Doctor comes on. We ask him a thought about the shoulder. It's supposed to be three minutes, and he starts doing the thing where he's actually a hockey expert and goes, oh, no. well, the main thing is on the power <laughs> yeah. play. You know what Austin Matthews is on the power play. <laughs> no, doctor. <laughs> no. <laughs> Stay in your lane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He really did that. There was no getting around it. Every question, he just basically wanted to talk about hockey and uh, try to legitimize himself as someone who either played or coached or some form of that. It was terrible. It was not exactly the segment that you wanted it to be. Uh, sorry if that doctor still listens to this show. Anyway, we can move off of it because I don't think it's something that will change. My hope is that it will, but if you just look at all those red flags, the ones that you mentioned, the ones that I did in those text messages, whoo, it feels more and more as though it's not going to change, especially given that they have had rest at this point, or that why wouldn't they just be adding rest to his plate if it was going to change? And why would the coach be speaking about him in this way of he's impacting <laughs> so the game in other ways and he's filling the net at practice? And yeah. <laughs> it, it's almost like they're having to talk themselves into the fact that he can get healthier than where he's at right now because they know the things that Ennis just said, which is... Yeah, if you don't have that, if the guy with the best wrist shot on the planet doesn't have his best wrist shot, it's going to hurt your chances of winning and a Stanley Cup. And you're a top-heavy yeah. offensive team to begin with, right? Like, yeah, okay, you maybe be able to roll the second line a little bit more, but John Tavares is down like a minute and a half from what he played a season ago. This is more top-heavy than it was a season right. ago, and your D is better, but yeah, to have the top of the top-heavy line not at 100% seems bad. Right, Sky so is falling. No, that's okay. I hate that. It's it's just this is so classic. There's definitely a layer of whenever people who follow this team talk about this team when they have anything bad happening, yeah. that their old paranoias come out. Right, like I have nothing to verify about this. This is paranoia, right? And but it's based <laughs> in some. It's based in something. And so, yeah, I'm probably over-amplifying it, but not talking about it at all seems more disingenuous. Like, what am I supposed to do right now? Hey, uh, TJ Brody continues to look good, and so does Jake Muzzin. I don't – fine. They they look fine. So, <laughs> Ben said it. They're a top-heavy team, and they're looking to get more top-heavy. And we keep hearing names. We keep hearing the same group of names. Basically, it's, hey, are you in the Pacific Division, a division that no Leafs fan watches – uh, and hasn't all year, especially, <laughs> then we've got the guys for you. How can we interest you in the Ayafalos of the world, in the Raquels of the world? And uh, I want to know who's watching the crappy Nashville Predators play and has Mikhail Granlin takes of, of what he has looked like hurt. this season. I have a take. He's hurt right now. He, no, 
the word is is he's going to quote be fine or they think oh. he'll be fine. That's the word from the Preds yesterday after he did get hurt. Although I wonder if it does expedite things for them knowing, you know, you, you have the life flash before your eyes thing where you can turn Mikhail Granlin and expiring contract into a first round pick. Hey, maybe you just do it and stop waiting. God, it's so true. It's like uh, the the Canucks and Tanner Pearson's hurt. And it's like, way to go, meatheads. Yeah. <laughs> you, <know>? yeah. <laughs> yeah. you had an What asset. were you holding out I, for? Yeah. I don't know. I had I had someone mock me on Twitter yesterday, weird, about yeah. uh, saying that the Canucks, you know, should be trying to get assets. And they're like, oh, assets. Yeah, you know. The Canucks were able to get Besser at 23rd overall or something. And it's like, that's an asset, you meatball. Like, yeah. you, you trade these guys for you know, lottery picks essentially, but if one hits, then you you haven't wasted a year in asset. Ah, foolishness. We did the same thing with the Raptors because Raptors fans yeah. kept pushing back at the idea that they should trade Kyle Lowry for a late first round pick or trade Norm Powell for a late first round picks. Despite this team winning a championship and having the entire narrative be, they are the first team to win a championship with no top 10 pick. And yet yeah. here's this, here's these fans going, what can you even get with the 27th overall pick? Uh, Pascal Siakam. Pascal That's Siakam. what you can get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they didn't even need a draft pick to get Fred Van Vliet, for God's sake. So how about you just have one? That would probably be good for this organization. No, I'll never understand this. And if there's anything that I would actually love to know right now, it's what these other GMs are holding out for. Because I, I, I did this on Friday's show. I think I did it on Thursday's show. Kyle Dubas clearly wants to make a trade. He's said explicitly that a top prospect is on the table. If you want Toronto's first-round pick, you can have it right now. If you want one of their best prospects, you can have them right now. If there's other guys in their organization that you think are undervalued, that you could be able to snag for a song right now, you could have them. The idea that Dubas is saying to the league, I have things to trade, and the likes of the Ducks and the Kings and the Nashville Predators are trying to play this waiting game where they're trying to accumulate what exactly I don't know but that's what I would like the 30 for 30 on that's what I want the Amazon series to reveal <laughs> is what exactly these other GMs think that they're trying to squeeze from Toronto because if Kyle Dubas yeah. is being transparent and he's already offering those things for the likes of quite frankly mediocre fringy top six guys like Grandland, then I, this seems like the riskiest dumbest thing that you could do and, and I know David Poyle is a super genius but that just I please explain this to me <laughs> yeah, you know, everyone, I think GMs are so used to being like, oh, what you do is you hold you everything until the, the day of the deadline, and then if it doesn't work out, you say, well, uh, you get more a draft day because everyone's involved, which never happens anyway. Yeah. But anyway, it's just like, I'm with you. There's only a few buyers, and whoever moves quickest is going to get something uh, close to reality and proper value for their guys. Towards the end, it's probably going to be a bit of a fire sale of guys just trying to get something for their players. Maybe the Leafs can take advantage of that, but I know that Dubas likes to act early and wants to get guys in. So, yeah, go talk to Toronto. No, he's definitely, if not put his best offers out there, pretty damn close to his best offers. And he set himself up. Same way Mark Shapiro set up the Blue Jays offseason, talking about, hey, we're, we got money to spend. This is like a transition year. We're going to start filling some of these holes that we have. And we looked at it sideways, and he got the biggest free agent fish. And it was a totally different scenario, obviously, in a, in a sport without a cap. But Kyle Dubas has set this up. He's getting somebody. There's no. I, okay. I thought about throwing in a question of like, hey, what does this team look like even if, if they don't? They're getting somebody. Yep. That's 
unequivocal, but he's set himself up so that everybody knows he's getting somebody, that there's this hope, I guess, that, yeah, you could you, the pressure that he's put on himself keeps getting ratcheted up by the, every passing day. So I'm actually going to zag here because I think that the pressure on him is diminishing. They are very, very likely going to add someone, but if they don't or if they add someone that is underwhelming at this point, the fact that he said I had a top prospect out there I actually think that our Leafs fans get to look at it the way I'm sort of looking at it, which is without knowing all of the details, hey, Kyle Dubas did his best. The rest of the league did not play ball. The rest of the league, for whatever reason, the Anaheim Ducks, who stink, were unwilling to give up Ricard Raquel when they could get hometown hero Nick Robertson. I don't even know if that's true. What I'm saying is, is at least mm-hmm. it's, it's not a lie if you believe it, right? And <laughs> yeah. This is the, that would be the, the, the luck, for sure. Right. And so I just don't think Dubas is going to take that much heat if he strikes out on this deadline because people are not going to assume that he was coveting his prospects too highly or that he was holding on to them. He said explicitly to the media, hey, I'm trying to get rid of these guys, basically. <laughs> I'm trying to dump one of these dudes so I can get some help in the top six. And he said that perfect line of it takes two teams to make a trade. And right now, the fact that no team has left at this opportunity does make it seem a little bit like the sellers are trying to wait till the end because they want a team to get more desperate or that they're asking Toronto to overpay in such an egregious way that of course they're not going to set a market where they give up two massive prospects and then see the Boston Bruins who they could end up facing in the playoffs anyways pay half the price for a similar player that's where you start to take on some heat so I I think this is evolving. I think this is shifting. But to me, if we're doing pressure watch of Kyle Dubas or if it was like the terrorist rankings where, what was it, red and yellow and when is it the highest of alert? We're moving down into, I think yellow was the middle range and not red or orange. One of them that's, yeah, the the one that's not as bad. I probably should have used the forest fire one, not the terrorist (laughs) one. But either way, the point stands. The point stands. You know, what's, it reminds me of um, free agency day, the last UFA day. Uh, you know, I, I had the luxury of being in studio and, you know, everyone getting all prepped to see who's going to sign. And I can't think of a single player who waited and didn't act right away who, like, benefited from waiting and looking for something better. There was, like, a few teams willing to spend a little bit of money, and then everyone else was like, beat it. You know, like, Taylor Hall took his one-year $8 million deal, and, you know, I may have had some fun with that on Twitter the other day, but, like, if he waits another week, he's not getting in three years and $9 million. The money was used up quick, and I think that's what's going to happen here with uh, with deals, is that there's a few teams willing to pay proper value for guys, and after that, at the deadline, I think there's going to be a fire sale of, like, here's a fifth for that guy, and teams just trying to get something for someone. So now you guys can accuse me of Leaf fan bias, but this is truly where my conspiracy stuff goes to the very top, where I think Kyle Dubas is actually out there trying to dangle legitimate pieces that are more valuable than what other teams would even come close to offering right now, but that these teams know they cannot make a deal with the Leafs unless they get back a King's Ransom. They cannot be the team that gives Toronto the piece that puts them over the top only to get some guy who didn't really factor in for them. That they're the one team that gets treated a little differently when it comes to trades, and that Dubas is on the outside looking in of the quote-unquote boys club. And 
I have yet to see evidence that really makes me believe anything otherwise. They clearly have a relationship with the LA Kings. Is this going to be the third deadline, pre-deadline in a row, where they make a deal with the Kings? They get Ayafalo? Is there any other team that this group can deal with? Uh, Kevin I don't know. Adams has been a GM for like nine minutes. Surely he's ready to you – know, <laughs> he, he can't have an old boys bias yet, can he? I, I don't even think it's necessarily just the old boys bias. It's just that you know you're going to you be can't scrutinized differently, Leafs. right? Yeah. You know, you get burned with the Leafs, and it's going to be in the news cycle for forever up here. And a lot of these guys are still from here. They've got family here. It's still the epicenter of hockey. And, yeah, I just think that even though – Right. I, I just think that it has to. And so it's harder to make a deal. And so, again, I think there is less pressure on Dubas. That for someone like me who's looking at it this way, it's, hey, man, you're doing your best. Even though I don't know what that actually is. <laughs> you know what's funny is I was thinking about those... Uh, ben Kings, head. I was thinking of those Kings trades and I was like, you know, like, what is Sean Dersey doing with the Kings? Well, Something the, the good, Leafs, apparently. Nice in the American League. You know, yeah. The, you know, and like the Leafs are enjoying year what three of Jake Muzzin now. Like those uh-huh. trades have gone well for them, and I don't know. It, 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 you're right, though. I do think you can't get burned by Toronto, where we're going to talk about it. And there's lots of voices. Sure. I mean, we've we've done this conversation before. It hasn't happened yet, and he's made some trades. He hasn't made a big swing trade like I guess he's going to make now. Although the Muzzin one was pretty big. He's like their best defenseman, and yeah, again. We know that that's true, and we don't look at the Kings in that manner uh, about how they didn't get enough for him. Maybe Jersey ends up winning a Norris or, or two, and then we can have that conversation, I guess, at that point. Do you know how many games the player, if they acquired someone today, like in the next four minutes before we leave Justin Bourne, how many games that player will, at the best-case scenario, play with the Toronto Maple Leafs team? Oh, it's, like it's 17 16. games. Yeah. yeah, it's 17 games, and there's absolutely That's no enough. chance that you come out of a, a two-week <laughs> quarantine and go directly onto the, the practice ice. So you're looking at, like, I don't know, 15, 14 games to acclimatize yourself to a team that has no, Stanley Cup. You know how many you like, need, Ben? 16. 16 wins. <laughs> 16 yeah. wins in the postseason. That's what you're getting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not overly concerned about that. I truly do believe that Dubas understands the parameters of this season, this trade deadline, what he has, all the quarantine, the limited number of buyers, all of this stuff. And I, I just – Everything he's done with this group and everything that he said about this season, just it does. It leads me to believe that he gets it and that he's offering those things. And it really does come down to, at this point, in, as someone who doesn't know, the, the lack of understanding as to, again, why teams like the Ducks are trying to pinch, what, an extra third-round pick so that you can move a guy like Raquel who's not going to do anything for you next year either. So maybe you they can retain a little Nick bit Robertson more salary. Play. Maybe they need so, to throw Nick Robertson in there. He's on the taxi squad. Maybe they need to see him in a top six yeah, role. I think you already know, and you know the limitations of what you have with this season and with the deadlines and with the trades. And, yeah, I just to me it's kind of a no-brainer. You have the Leafs in a very, very unique position where they're all obviously going to offer you more than commensurate value for a player. That it seems anyways that they're basically telling you we're going to take the L on a trade. Normally, I hate when teams overpay at the deadline when they give up the equivalence of first-round picks for rentals. It really drives me nuts. Hockey is the one sport that is just really never caught up when it comes to commensurate value for rental players. Teams go bananas this time of year. It's getting better, but 
it's still something where you look at it years down the line and go, what? They did, oh my God, for who? For four goals of player X, they gave up a guy who was drafted 13th. How many of those for, are there? Philip Forsberg for Martin right. Erat remains an exactly. all-time. <laughs> That's, there's very few, well, they got forward X and they went to a cup and he was the guy and that was the reason. There's a billion, they gave up a first-round pick for a crappy guy and this was it. It's just that there are times where it actually makes sense and you have to do it, and Toronto's in one of those spots, and they're telling you explicitly they're going to overpay, and yet so far no one has jumped on it because they're being greedy. And I hope whoever the greedy little piggies are that they get they get nipped for it. Like It's coming, right, guys? It's coming? Any, well, any but moment now? Yeah. But that's the thing. Like this whole Elliot Friedman looking at the at the calendar and it was a smart move and the correct take, it's like basically closed now. Like I said, like they, don't, they, play they don't play till Thursday. Thursday. Yeah, yeah, it's Monday. Yeah, no, it could happen today. Like the idea of all these days off and the lack of games in the two week period, that's basically over unless they they pull this move off today or tomorrow and just it it, it hasn't happened. Uh, Fine. Uh, Just it's pressure's ramping down. I think they do get somebody. I hope they get someone I like, but yeah, it is. Boy, it's going to be quite something giving up a potential first round pick for a guy like Randlander. Do you guys think the height of the player coming in will be over or under Dennis Mulgan or Nick Patan? <laughs> oh, over. I thought you were going to say under. I think six those feet, are the two shortest guys in <laughs> hockey. So. Yeah. Under six feet, but yeah, yeah, I don't think you can go under those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're the smallest <laughs> well, guys. Find a way. Here comes Rocco Grimaldi coming in yeah. hot. Stay tuned. No, there, there's nothing funnier than Mark Savard's joke of seeing those two guys saying they look like they won a contest leaf for a day. That's the best. That's still my favorite <laughs> joke. That goes. All right, Bourne. This was good stuff. Again, uh, you can subscribe to the Leafs Hours podcast on iTunes. You can follow on Spotify. You can subscribe on Podbean, all those good things. Please do it. Please leave a review. Thanks for your time, buddy. Yeah, thanks, guys. Talk to you next week. All right, see you, Bourne. Continue not responding to JD's text. I like that. Yeah. All right, more of a good show when we continue. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. The tones of the NHL on ESPN, I assume. Yeah, that's what it is. Uh, Yeah. Uh, I imagine when this deal was officially officialized between the NHL and ESPN, there was like two phone calls that were made immediately in the aftermath. One was John Bucci-Gross. Probably picked up that phone. And probably before him even, the face of the NHL on ESPN, Barry Melrose. The hair. the hair of the NHL on ESPN, Barry Melrose picked up the bat phone and said, we're on after a 16-year hiatus. We're back on ESPN. Barry Melrose, kind enough to join us on the line right now. How's it going, Barry? Congratulations. Thank you very much. It, uh, good good things take a little time to... Uh to uh, get done, and uh, that's what happened. 16 years, which I never realized was that much, but 16 years we've been waiting, and now uh, we got the next seven, year, seven years on our air. So everybody, everybody that uh, that loves hockey at ESPN, which is a lot of them, uh, was walking around with a smile on their face, I can guarantee you. Yeah, 
uh, and even us north of the border because we like to look at uh, our bigger brother mm-hmm. and be like, do you like our sport? Do you like our sport? Yeah. Maybe you'll like our sport more now that yeah. it's on the four-letter. So, yeah, yeah. very. It means you, a lot give, to us, too. It, it <laughs> does. It was a big news story here for some reason, even though people in this country can't even watch the games on ESPN, uh, no matter. What, did, what happened to that sport? What was the impact? And I know you're biased, but what was the impact of, of ESPN not having the rights for the last 16 years? I, I think a lot of opportunities are missed. And again, I, I'm not saying that the NBC has done anything wrong. Uh, I, I like all the guys, and, and I think they've done a good job. And they, they've really pushed hockey and, and done a lot of good things. But uh, if you're going to do sports in the United States of America, you have to be on ESPN. When you walk into a bar and you're a person, a woman or a man, and you're trying to find the scores and you're trying to find what's going on in the sporting world, you're looking for ESPN. You're, you're, you guys are joking, but the four-letter is what everyone's looking for. And uh, and now, and, and the players like that, the players miss that walking into the bar, uh, you know, for a cold one after a game or something. And, and no ESPN up there where the guys the, uh, watch the highlights, uh, things like that. So uh, it's been missed. A lot of opportunities have been missed. Uh, a lot of things have been tried. Uh, some of them have worked. And, uh, you know, uh, ESPN, very innovative. Always been very innovative when you started out the small man on the block like ESPN did many years ago. You have to be creative in order to stay in business. And I don't think any sporting company has been more creative than ESPN. Yeah, this you're right. This is not disparaging NBC whatsoever. But when we're, when we're joking about the impact and the meaning of it being on ESPN, we're joking about the insecurities of Canadian hockey fans who want – hockey to be front and center that feel as though hockey's place should be among the core four in North America and oftentimes is overlooked. And we understand as a country that that rights deal, that that does mean more eyeballs on the sport. That does matter for the sport, that there are added elements like you just outlined. And I, I just wonder how, how aware you are just in general of that. The, the, desire of hockey fans to have a more prominent place in the sporting landscape and how you feel as someone who is directly involved in that. Hey, I'm from Saskatchewan. No one's more Canadian than me. And uh, I've been in sports my whole life. And, and uh, I worked at ESPN when there were, you know, that when they, when they left the, uh, uh, the first time there. And, and, and it's hard. Uh, I agree. I, I, but a lot of that is because we, as Canadians, think, hockey is the greatest sport in the world and no matter what the nfl does or no matter what uh football does or baseball does or or uh, basketball does that's not not going to change my mind now there's there's more people that think a different tact you know if, if you're an american or if you're a canadian football's king you can do whatever you want but football's king and, it, and it's king in the united states it's king over basketball it's king over baseball uh, it, it is the king, and and, and you got to realize that. But boy, uh, ESPN gave uh, the NHL a good, you know, uh, help up the ladder with a seven-year deal worth lots and lots of cash. So the owners uh, obviously were very happy with that, and and now it's up to ESPN to do some stuff and be creative, and and uh, it's up for all of us that are hockey fans to you know get eye get eyeballs on the game and get going back to uh, to games and, and start loving our sport again in person. I can't wait to be back in person. I miss it immensely. Uh, I've said this a million times, but there is no sport that is more aesthetically pleasing to watch live than hockey. It's just it's a completely different vantage point from when you watch it on television. And so I cannot wait for that. But 
you know, you raised something that's kind of interesting, which is making sure there are more eyeballs on it. These divisions have been working north of the border. We don't know if they're going to change. We'll discuss it with you in a second. But if there is one thing you could change about the way the game is covered, what would it be? I just, I've always said this. I want, I want us to sell our athletes. I think that's, that's one thing we have is, is that I have no problem saying that our athletes are the best. And our, our guys are the best, and 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 they're funny, and they love the sport, and they're not scared to say they love the sport. They they're very emotional. Uh, the the game is played with passion and energy, which has to be played with passion and energy. Hockey's one of those sports that you can't go out and play shinny. You can go out with your buddies and play shinny and have a heck of a good time, but if two teams are going out there and neither one is competing, it's going to be it's going to look bad. But you get you know two teams that are. Look at the Florida teams last night. That was a great hockey game. That's two teams that are going to play each other a lot, that that are going to fight for each other for the, the first playoff spot probably, home ice. And it was a great hockey game. And, and whoever Colorado plays is a great hockey game. And whoever Vegas plays is a great hockey game. And whoever Tampa plays is a great hockey game. So I've always I've always thought that we could just sell our, our players. And I don't, I don't have a black and white answer for this, but I – I think that's that's the one thing that that I'll put up our athletes against anybody is they're just they're good guys and fun guys and and funny guys and emotional guys and and they want to win guys. Uh, there, there's just so many of those guys that we we just don't sell them enough. How much of that is incumbent on the players though? Because we we've talked about this before that it's such a hockey culture thing to defer to the team, not want to put yourself front and foremost to become a star above the rest of your teammates that maybe something has to uh, shift philosophically with hockey players to get to that point how much of selling the players do you put on the players themselves uh well they they're 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 basically a company so they the more money the uh players make the more money everyone's going to make so i you know they're they're not against the nhl the nhl and the the, uh, player association has to be tight and they got to come up with ideas uh, about how to how to make uh, everything better. And uh, I, I think there's a lot to blame. Here's an example. Uh, you know, everyone says, "Well, we got to mic the players. We got to mic the players. We got to mic the players." Okay, you, you mic the players, but there's a 20 second delay. So you know, anything that's funny or the least bit controversial uh, is taken out right away. You know, because they, you, they're they're waiting 20 seconds before they come on the air and talk about that. So, you know, they have, the NHL's got the players got to have faith that the NHL would do nothing to embarrass them, but also the players got to put themselves out on a limb a little bit too, and and uh, and make the game more appealing and, and make make it funnier and make it more exciting. So there's there's lots to blame to go around, but I think I think the players uh, you know can do a better job also of selling our sports and selling each other. So I mentioned the divisions. They've really been working in Canada. There has been there have been incredible television ratings. The dialogue around the game has been incredible. Everybody is watching and, and paying attention to all the other teams intently, at least from this market, which is not usually the case in Toronto with Toronto fans. Have have you felt the same thing south of the border that the divisions are working in the United States, the rivalries are working, that people like this format or do you think that, for the most part, everyone's excited to go back to something more similar to where it was before? Well, I'm I'm just going to speak for me. I I like what we got. I like the I like the, the Canadian division. 
I like uh, I like uh, you know Vegas and and uh, Colorado. Uh, I, I love the two Florida teams down there. I like you know the Canes are a heck of a hockey team. No one knows about. Uh, you got you know Pittsburgh. You got that division with Washington. Washington. I think I've watched them every night for a month, and yet this is still fun. Obi does something the other night. He goes crazy. He gets hit at center ice. Goes in. He scores two goals from two feet away from the net. You know, don't poke the bear. I said last night on, uh, on inside the crease. So I, I I like it. I I and I like I like them playing a lot because it makes them mad. And I talked about passion. You know that when you're when you're playing hockey with passion and energy and a little anger. It makes it a lot better, and then you know if guys are getting drilled, if, if McKinnon's getting drilled with a nice open ice hit in the middle of the rink, boy, and 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 he, he you know he goes after somebody, that's good. People like to see that, and so I I, I like I like whatever they've done. I, I can't say that it, I've looked at something. I, I even for the most part like the retro uniforms, I, and I like some of the uh, some of the shiny ones. Well, I uh, there isn't yes, much that I haven't liked about what's going on. And again, a lot of it is. The NHL and the players put themselves out on a limb. Yeah, I think it's been a tremendous success for all parties involved. I know that people are paying less attention to what is not happening within their division, but I think that's just kind of the case anyways with hockey, and this is a good way forward. And I I don't know why the league wouldn't want to try to live the best of all worlds, which is once the border opens up, keep the divisions the same way for at least a season, see how fans in these arenas respond to these divisions, try and circumvent the travel or the logistical problems just a little bit, but let this experiment go a touch longer. And yeah, let the fans decide because everyone that we speak to that loves and watches this game comes away with the same thing, which is, yeah, this, these divisions are working why mess with success, especially considering, you know, the way that things have gone over the last couple of seasons. So it's trade deadline time. It's especially trade deadline time up here because there's this quarantine. Uh, Again, I know that the primary focus has been teams south of the border for you, but the Toronto Maple Leafs are kind of front and center with this thing, and and they look like they really want to add uh, a top six forward. Is there someone that, you know, you've watched this year that's on a seller that you think would especially fit what the Toronto Maple Leafs right now need right now, and a top six forward. Well, I, I'm, I'm not sure about the salary cap issues, but what about a Ryan Getzlaff? Uh, I, I think uh, I, I think there's going to be a lot of teams after Ryan Getzlaff. Everyone knows him, the playoff performances that he has done, uh, the fact he's a winner, won a Stanley Cup. Uh, you know, those I, I think that's the type of guy Toronto needs. I think they need that veteran. You know, Matthews is awesome. Marner's awesome. Uh, you know, Tavares is awesome, but it's nice to have that glue and that, that guy that does the right thing at the at the moment and says the right thing and does the right thing and, uh, you know, make the power play better. And, and uh, you know, it's got to be a guy with grit too because that, that's, I think, one of the things that Toronto's missing a little bit. I'd like to see them grittier. Not not fighting gritty, uh, but I, I would love to see them It'd be a, a team that uh, is tough to play against. Uh, you know, you're... You're in that dressing room before a game. You say, "God, do we have to play these guys again?" That is what you want said in a dressing room. That is that is that's heaven to a coach's ear. When the other team says, "I don't want to play those guys again," and I'd like to see, I, I think whoever comes out of the the leagues uh, has to have that mentality. Do we have to play these guys again? And I think whichever team gets it is going to be very very tough to beat. And, and if you look at Colorado, Colorado's got it. 
if you watch that last game, they're getting 50 shots a night and you're giving up 10. And they're, and, uh, they're, they're the fastest thing on two wheels. And, uh, you know, Vegas is the same way. Vegas is flying around, uh, you know, really looking dangerous. So I, I, that's the type of guy I, I would get. I would love to get a, a, an older, uh, not an ancient guy, but an older guy that can still play. And, and going to a contender uh, will make him hungry and, and make him a better player. Yeah, it's been something that they've been searching for all year is that consistency of being a team that's harder to play against. It was like their mantra coming into the year. So I got to ask you this before you go. I'd never forgive myself if I didn't. No other sport is tied to hair the way hockey is. You're known for it. <laughs> who who has the best hair? Out, you can't count yourself. The best hair in NHL history award. Barry Melrose awards it. It goes to who? History? His, you can choose now or history. I'll give you those two options. Who has the best now or historically if you'd like to go? Uh uh, Gene Carr. I don't know if you. I don't even know if you guys know who Gene Carr is. But, don't. Uh, don't even pretend. <laughs> Both googling. <laughs> Immediate Google. Yeah. But Gene Carr. He was playing in in, in Flint and and uh, played in L.A. of course and and uh, in the NHL because that's where he should have played. And he had the long blonde hair, and and that was in an era that there wasn't a lot of a lot of hair. You know, we were at uh, Gene Carr. Gene Carr had. <laughs> white white hair and he had white white tape all the way up his uh, legs it, it looked like he was wearing leggings and he could fly uh you know it didn't score much but uh but uh, he uh he always grabbed my attention gene Carr. so uh he he was uh, to me when i when i think of the uh the perfect hairdo i think of gene Carr. and then yeah, so, yeah, we we both did a google we both had the same reaction First of all, the endorsement from you is incredible, and the choice is incredible. It's glorious. The, the flow on Gene Carr is glorious. Thank you for sharing this with us today. We, we greatly appreciate it. My pleasure, it. guys. Yeah. If I can help okay, you right. in any way, make sure you call me. Absolutely, we will. Take Thanks, care, Mary. Mary. Yeah, the Gene Carr. This is Jeff like, Merrick. So... I hope Jeff Ooh. Merrick heard that because that was just for you, Jeff Merrick. That was for you, you know? Yeah. Merrick was uh, mad that we didn't know who Gene Carr was. He's like, yeah, I know you. He had like a whole like 30-second spiel on Gene Carr he was waiting to use if If, if he was hosting the show. If they asked Jeff Merrick on Hockey Central today, hey, you got to give us 15 minutes on Gene Carr, he'd be like, I've been waiting my whole life for this. (laughs) 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 I'm ready. (laughs) Oh, the duster on this guy too is – Yeah, but his hair is so blonde. Yeah, well done, Gene Carr. All right. Well, that's great choice. If you want to impress your friends, talk about hockey hair, and they're talking about you know your the the Barry Melrose and the whatever um, Chris Simons of the world, you can drop a Gene Carr on them and blow them away. All right, we'll be back tomorrow. Bye bye.